Well, I want to welcome you today to the continuation of our Jesus Dilemma message series. I want to say a special welcome to those of you who are joining us online and those of you who are joining us via our video services. It's so great to be back with you after a couple of weeks off. I had the opportunity to celebrate 10 years of marriage with my wife, Stacy, going on a seven-day cruise. I know that is evidence that God exists, that she hung with me for 10 years. And so we're glad to be back with you today. I have a question to get us started today. How many of you guys are coffee addicts? Raise your hands way up high. You're addicted to coffee. Maybe some of you are really bad. You're like me. Now, this is church. You got to be honest, okay? Keep them up. I just want to see video services online. Everybody, raise your hand. If you're in Starbucks, maybe you want to raise your hand really high. Just say, I love coffee out loud right there in Starbucks. Uh, sometimes I like stumble into the kitchen and I make that pot of coffee and nothing nice comes out of my mouth before the java kicks in and I'm awakened by the glorious gift of coffee. Now, how many of you do not like coffee? Raise your hand. You think it tastes like dirt? You are missing out on one of God's greatest gifts to humanity. Some of you guys, tea folks, raise your hand. God bless you, jasmine teas, special flavors, all that kind of stuff. Okay, now those of you who drink coffee or tea, how many of you would say that you are a Starbucks person? Raise your hand up real high. Some of you here in this service, video services, still raise your hand, Starbucks people. Okay, how about Pete's? How many of you like Pete's? Got some Pete's folks? Okay, all right, now how many of you like Phil's? You found the gift of God called Phil's, the double pour ambrosia. I love it. Now, one of the things I've noticed about coffee, and maybe you've seen this before, when it came to my parents a generation ago, they did not have any of these incredible gifts from God, like Starbucks and Pete's and Phil's. In fact, they used to go to places like IHOP, Denny's, God forbid, Waffle House, and drink coffee. It's like potato water, right? We, we have been graced by God with some very, very incredible gifts. Now, one of the things that has happened in our generation, my generation specifically, and even in our day and age, is whenever you want to hang out with somebody, where do you go? You go to the coffee shop. Now, previously, previous generations, they would go to these places like IHOP and Denny's. And I've noticed that some of the best conversations in life happen at coffee shops. And sometimes there are conversations at coffee shops, let's be honest, that are kind of frivolous, like sports and people's Facebook status updates and all that kind of stuff. But there are some very, very life-altering encounters that happen in coffee shops. And sometimes I'll send a text to somebody and I'll say, hey, let's grab coffee, not even really meaning I want to grab coffee, just that I want to have a conversation and some time with that person. So I was thinking, I was just wondering this question. If we could slow down long enough, and if Jesus were to appear on the scene in the 21st century and we were to sit down at Starbucks, Pete's, or Phil's, you got your choice. If we were to sit down for a cup of coffee, what Jesus would say to us. Just like a 30-minute conversation with the creator of the universe. See, we're in the middle of this series, and over the last few weeks, we've been answering or wrestling through, through some of the very, very important questions about the life of Jesus. We looked the first week about how Jesus, we believe, is God, that he came as God in human flesh, never made a mistake, never disobeyed his parents, never cheated on a test like I did in fourth grade, hoping that he could ace it. Jesus never made any mistakes, and he was God in human flesh. But then the last two weeks, we looked at Jesus' death, and we said that Jesus died a substitutionary death. He died in my place and in your place because of your jealousy, 
my jealousy, our selfishness, our greed, our pride. He died, the perfect son of God in our place so that we could be forgiven. And by faith in God, our slate can be wiped clean. Now, last week, we talked about the resurrection. And we looked at the truth that Jesus raised, was raised from death to life three days after he was placed into the grave. Now, I want to pause our series because this series is so incredibly important. Everything we do as a church revolves around this man named Jesus. He's not just a historical figure. We believe that he is the, the, the incarnation of God and the ultimate hope of all of humanity. And everything we do as a church points back to the life, the teachings of Jesus. And he is the only hope for salvation for every single one of us. But we've looked at some very profound beliefs and maybe haven't had the opportunity yet to stop and pause and say, what does all this mean for you and for, for me? And so I want to wrestle through this question today. If we could sit down for a cup of coffee with Jesus, if we could have an encounter with him, what would he say to us today? See, Jesus was this incredible master at the one-on-one -on -one conversation with people. He always knew how to get right to the issue in their hearts. He'd ask questions. He'd oftentimes respond to questions with questions. He'd give these principles and stories that would reveal the thoughts and intentions of men and women. And he would get to the core of the issue in their lives. And he would bring them to a point of decision. In fact, if you're taking notes today, what I, I want to say to us is that an encounter with Jesus always demands a response out of you and I. An encounter with Jesus always demands a response. Sometimes that response was anger and frustration from the religious leaders. Other times that response was sadness because a person was unwilling to do what Jesus was asking them to do. But an encounter with Jesus always demands a response out of you and I. And today we're going to look into five conversations, five encounters with Jesus. And I think that all of us today, watching online or joining online in our video services here in this service live, that all of us, one of these five things, if we were to sit down for coffee with Jesus, he would say one of, two of, maybe even three or four or five of these things to us today. So I want to encourage you, we're going to have to go like kind of skim level of these stories, but I want to encourage you to listen to these stories. And as we look at what Jesus says to these five people to analyze our lives, I'm going to give you some questions, maybe even to journal about this week, to ask the question, if I could sit down with Jesus, what would he say to me over a cup of coffee or tea or whatever it is that you would drink? So the first story we're going to look at is a story of a guy named Nicodemus. If you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 3, and all of these stories will be on the screens today. John chapter 3, the first story, the story of Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a religious leader. He was like those of us who feel like we kind of have to earn our way to God. And Nicodemus was a little bit ashamed of his desire to know more about the life and teachings of Jesus. So Nicodemus would show up on the scene in the middle of the night. He'd come in the darkness wanting to know who Jesus was and is. And he asked this question. He said, hey, who are you? I mean, nobody could be doing all these things that you're doing. Nobody could heal people, bring people back from death to life, all of these great things that you're doing, Jesus. There's no way that all of this could happen if you were not from God. And I want us to look at Jesus' response to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Jesus looks right at him and he says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Which doesn't make sense, does it? 
He comes to Jesus and he wants to know, who are you? If you're doing all these great things, you've got to be from God. And then he makes this offhanded statement about, unless you're born again, you can't be a part of the kingdom of God. But see, Jesus knew Nicodemus' struggle, a religious man. He knew all the laws in the Old Testament. He had been striving religiously to earn his way back to God. And Jesus says that unless you're born again, there's no way you can have a relationship with God. It's not about you trying harder. It's not about you becoming a better person. Unless you're born again, you can't have that relationship with God. Now, Nicodemus, almost seemingly in a foolish way, says, how can a man be born again when he's old? Nicodemus asks. I mean, that's the obvious question, right? Surely he can't enter into his mother's womb a second time. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one can enter into the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and of spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, a woman's body gives birth to a baby, and spirit gives birth to spirit. But you should not be surprised at me saying this, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, you hear its sound, you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going, so it is, with everyone who is born of the spirit. See, Jesus says to Nicodemus, in essence, in this moment, that I want to give or to breathe into you new life. And this new life that I want to breathe into you is not something that you can earn religiously. He didn't come to make you and I better. He came to bring us life. And to take those of us who are born dead in our transgressions or born dead in our brokenness and bring us from death to life. That the message of Jesus is not about religion, it's not about what we can do, it's about what he has done for us. And the gift of life that he wants to give to us is only received, it's not earned. And so for some of us who are trying to earn it today, Jesus is saying, receive it. Stop striving religiously. I wanna breathe new life into you. Some of you today, Jesus is saying, it's time for you to cross that line of faith. It's time for you to put your trust in me. That because of his death and his resurrection, as we've looked at throughout this series, by faith in him, new life can be breathed into us and salvation can be received. Jesus would go on in this passage to say, I didn't come into the world to judge the world. I came into the world to give mercy and forgiveness so that the world might be saved through me. And for some of us today, Jesus is offering for the first time this gift of salvation. And he's saying, and if you will put your faith in me, I will give you this incredible gift of life. Others of us, maybe what he's saying to you today, there's a part of your life that has been dead or dormant for years. Maybe it's your relationship with him. You chose to follow him and put your trust in him. But over the course of time, you've grown far away from him. And you've stopped studying scripture and you've stopped praying and you've stopped wrestling through your relationship with God. And he's saying, today I want to breathe new life into you. Some of you, it's your marriage that feels like it's on the rocks and it's dying and you're struggling. And he's saying, I want to breathe new life into your marriage. Others of you, maybe it's a dream or a vision that God put into your heart years ago. And he's saying, I want to breathe new life into this dream that has been lying dormant for years for me to give you the faith and the, and the ability to live the life that I've created you to live. But some of us today, if we were to sit down with Jesus for a cup of coffee, he'd say, I want to give you new life. So here's a question for you. Maybe you can write this down in your program. 
What area of your life does God want to breathe new life into? Is it a marriage? Is it a relationship with a child? Is it a dream? Maybe it's the beginning of a relationship with Jesus. What is the area of your life that God wants to breathe new life into? See, an encounter with Jesus always demanded a response. It's a fork in the road. It's this direction or that direction. Jesus would never leave people the same. They had to do something and respond to his message. And the question is, what area of your life does God want to breathe new life into? The story and the encounter with Nicodemus. The second encounter is a little bit different. In John chapter 5, we see the story of a man who's actually been lame for many years. In fact, this man would stand by a place called the Pool of Bethesda, and a lot of people who'd been lame or had diseases or been sick, they would wait there to be healed. And there were these waters that when they were stirred up, people would try to get into the waters, they would try to get to the pool, and they were hoping that they could be healed. And Jesus comes up, and the scripture says that he sees a man who had been in an invalid for over 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, and he asked him this question, do you want to get well? Yes. I haven't walked for 38 years, Captain Obvious. Do I want to get well? I mean, could you imagine being this man who had been struggling with this issue for so long? Yet Jesus actually says to him, do you want to change? Do you really want your life to be different than it is right now? Do you want your marriage to be different? Do you want your finances to be different? Do you want to change? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to come out of the mess that your life has been sitting in for years? Do you want to change? Jesus is asking him this question. Now, the response of the man who'd been invalid for 38 years is even more peculiar than Jesus' question. When Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? He says... I have no one here to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. There's nobody that can take care of my issue and get me to the pool. Somebody else always jumps in when I'm trying to get in. Someone else goes down ahead of me. So instead of responding to Jesus by saying, yes, I want to be made well, he makes excuses for all the reason that he is in the predicament that he's in. The same way that so many of us do when our lives are not what they could be, when our marriage is not what it could be when our sexual purity is not what it could be, when our finances are not what they could be, when we're living a life of brokenness and we're in shame, oftentimes, rather than receiving the gift that God wants to give to us to bring us up out of our mess, we make excuses for the situation that we're in. And Jesus looks right at this man who has been waiting for years to be healed, but unwilling to step towards the waters to find the healing that was available to him. Jesus looks into this man's eyes and listen to what he says. Get up, pick up your mat and walk. See, I think if some of us were to sit down with Jesus for coffee or tea today, Jesus would say to you, it's time to stand up. It's time for you to accept responsibility. There is a proverb in the Old Testament of Scripture. It says that the fool destroys his life and then he gets angry and blames God for his destruction or situation. And some of you today, Jesus is saying, the situation you are in will not change until you stand up. And I have already given you the power to stand up. 
In fact, it was only the grace of God, it was only the words and power of Jesus that would give healing to this man who is in his condition. But to some of us today, Jesus is saying, I have already given you everything you need to live the life I am asking you to live. I'm giving you the power to get out of that addiction that you've been wrestling with for years. I've given you the strength to get out of debt. I've given you the power to discipline yourself physically. I have already given you everything you need to live the life that I am asking you to live. And so Jesus would say to some of us, it is time to accept responsibility for the condition or the circumstances in our life. See, sometimes we're on our knees praying and Jesus is saying, no, you need to stand up and start walking towards victory in your life. Some of us today, it is time to stand up. So let me ask you this question in response to this conversation Jesus had. Where in your life do you need to accept responsibility? Where in your life do you need currently to accept responsibility for your situation and circumstances and begin to walk the road of victory. I so clearly remember a conversation I had with my brother-in-law almost six years ago now. Stacy, my wife and I were $17,000 in debt in student loans. I had one of these pivotal conversations where he looks me in the eyes and he says, it's time to be a man and it's time for you to accept responsibility. I wanna challenge you to believe that in the next year, God could completely eliminate your debt. And I remember walking away from this conversation thinking, we like hardly even make that much money. How are we going to get out of this situation? And I remember God so vividly through that conversation, like an encounter with Jesus was speaking into my heart, saying, Andy, it's time for you to accept responsibility and be a man. What area of your life do you need to accept responsibility? Now, all of these stories, we could take a whole message and dive into them. But I think that this one question is so pivotal and so important for someone who's listening to this message today. The third conversation, continuing through the book of John, is an example where Jesus now interacts with a woman. And the scripture says that in John chapter 8, Jesus encounters a woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. Now, I don't know how they caught her in the act of adultery unless they were peeping toms and they're sitting there just waiting for this moment. And they get this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery and they bring her to Jesus. Now, we have to understand that the religious leaders were often antagonists to the message of Jesus, and they were trying to stump him over and over and over and over again. And in John chapter 8, after finding this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery, they bring her into Jesus, and they want to know what Jesus thinks they should do with this woman. And the scripture says that they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. They wanted somehow to throw Jesus off to see if he would violate the law found in the Old Testament. So here are all these men that know because of this woman's adultery, she should be stoned, and they've brought her to Jesus, the perfect son of God, who's never made a mistake, and here is this woman standing before Jesus. Could you imagine the shame that this woman felt in this moment, knowing that she had been caught in the act of adultery? And the scripture says, but Jesus, pivotal phrase in that passage, bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Scripture doesn't give indication what he was writing down, but he's writing down on the ground. And then the story says that then Jesus would look up 
And he would say to them, after they would continue to question him, let anyone who is without stone be the first one to throw, without sin, be the first one to throw a stone at this woman. Any of you. You've never sinned, never made a mistake, never been jealous, never got angry with your brother and slammed his head against the wall, never been disobedient to a parent, never made a mistake. Any of you, without sin, be the first one to throw the stone at this woman. And then again, the scripture says he would stoop down and write on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first. I have no idea why the older ones left first, except for maybe they were a little bit more aware of their need for God. And then it says, until only Jesus was left with that woman standing there. Could you imagine that? Knowing exactly what she's just done, standing in front of this incredible teacher, this man that she'd probably heard of or maybe even seen teach thousands of people, eyeball to eyeball, no one else around. And what's the Son of God going to say to this woman? Scripture says, Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Where are all of your accusers now? And then he says, Have they condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. The perfect Son of God, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. See, for many of us, the thing that prevents us from living the life that God has created us to live is that thing that we did in the past. Five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, maybe it was an abortion, maybe it was a relationship that was developed illegitimately, maybe it was an addiction that we're in shame and in bondage about, maybe it was something that we did when we were a kid and we still feel guilt over today, that oftentimes our past is the very thing that prevents us from living the life that God has created us to live. And for some of us today, if we were sitting down with the creator of the universe, eyeball to eyeball, him looking straight at us, he would say, you're not condemned. I came, I was crucified, buried, and resurrected so that you can be forgiven from your past, so that you can know the mercy and the grace of God. You're forgiven. And you know the irony of all of this? Jesus knows exactly what this woman has just done. I think sometimes we try to hide our sin to act as if it does not exist. When there's nothing you have ever done in your life, friend, that could cause God to love you any less than he loves you at this moment. That there is this God of infinite, boundless love, rich in mercy for all of humanity who would come to him to receive his grace. And some of you today, God is wanting to get eyeball to eyeball with you to say, you are forgiven from your past. Now you have to receive it by faith. Let me wipe the slate clean. Let me put you on a new path to life and redemption and mercy and forgiveness. You are forgiven from that thing in your past. Let me ask you a question. What is that thing? What is that thing that you still hold on to that today you need to receive the mercy and forgiveness of God? Where in your life do you need to receive Jesus' forgiveness? Is it a relationship gone bad? Is it a struggle with an emotion, anger, bitterness, jealousy? 
Where is that area of your life where you need to receive forgiveness today to let Jesus come and wipe the slate clean so that he can look you in the face and he can say, now go and leave your life of sin. See, an encounter with Jesus always demands a response. And for this woman, the response was, receive grace, now go and live the life I've created you to live. Leave that life of sin and follow me with everything that you have. And some of us today, it's a fork in the road. It's a pivot point that Jesus is saying, receive forgiveness, now go and live the life that I have created you to live. Man, these encounters are powerful. And I think that the scripture is written in such a way that we can read it and realize that the scriptures still speak into our lives today in the 21st century. And God is wanting through each of these stories to communicate a very specific message to our life based upon where we are today. Now, these last two stories that we're going to look at are two radically different responses. Because in many ways, in the first three stories, the encounter with Jesus, we don't really fully know the outcome of their response to Jesus. But these last two stories we do. And there's one story in Luke chapter 18 that I want us to really investigate. Jesus encounters a rich young ruler, maybe like some of the folks in the Silicon Valley that seem to have it all together on the surface, everything he could need physically. And this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he asks the question, which is a great question, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life or be saved from my sin? He asks this question. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. And then he says to this, you know the commandments, says to him this, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. Now, all of these commandments, if I think back over my life, I can give you story after story after story after story of how many times I've broke one of these commandments, or all of these commandments, I should say. But this man, I don't know if he's completely narcissistic, or if he's just like oblivious, or he's lying to Jesus, but he looks at him and he says, all of these I've kept since I was a young boy. And Jesus heard this. He said to him, you still lack one thing. See, for this man... There was one thing that stood between him and relationship with God. There was still one area of his life that was yet to be yielded to God, that he was holding back on, that he had not fully surrendered, that he had not said yes to God with. There's one thing that you still lack. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. See, Jesus understood that for this man, his great wealth was the thing that stood between him and relationship with God. He was in control of this area of his life. He had the, you know, his fists clenched tight around his finances. And Jesus looks right at him and says, this is the area that you need to relinquish control and surrender to God. And I think that if Jesus were to look many of us in the eyes today, and I think probably for all of us, he would say this, surrender it all to me. Surrender it all to me. Everything you are. See, Jesus didn't come into the world so he could have a casual relationship with us or be a historical hero or figure in our minds. Jesus came to planet Earth 
to have a relationship with you where he would be the primary focal point of your life and my life. That our greatest affection, that first place would go towards relationship with him. That our lives would be given to pursuing his, his commands and his life and his teachings. That he would, he would be the one that our greatest level of affection would go towards. And I think it's very interesting to look at this man's response. Scripture says he comes face to face with Jesus. He encounters him. It's impossible to encounter Jesus without some kind of response. And the scripture says, this is what happens. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Another passage of scripture says that this guy just turned and walked away with great sadness. Not because he couldn't, but because he was unwilling. Because he was unwilling to do the thing that Jesus was asking him to do. Some of you who are followers of Jesus, you know what I'm talking about. You know what it's like to have an area of your life that you were unwilling to surrender to God. Maybe it's sexual purity. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's dying to yourself in your marriage. Maybe it's waiting and holding on for the spouse that God's created you to live. Maybe it's honoring your employer. But there's an area oftentimes in our lives that we hold on to and we say, this is mine. You can touch any other room in the house, God, but this room, this is my room and don't dare to come in this room because I've got it all under control. And what he's saying is surrender it all to me. See, I think that sometimes there are people who intellectually believe in the message of Jesus, that he came, he died, he was crucified, and he resurrected. And the thing that stands between us and salvation and us and relationship with God is not our belief, but it's our unwillingness to surrender to who this man is and give him control of our life. And at the bottom, most rugged part of what it means to follow Jesus is this constant battle inside of me to surrender it all back to God. Jesus brought people to a point of decision that they would say, either you choose to, he would say, either you choose to follow me or you continue on this path that prevents you from living the life I've created you to live. Now, I know that that's kind of a somber story, so we're going to finish with a good one. The last story is a guy named Zacchaeus. When I was growing up in church, we used to have a song about Zacchaeus. It was said, I won't sing it for you. I'm really bad. <laughs> I've tried out for the worship band before. They won't let me play. And um, Archie's like, Simon, he just says, no, you're not good enough, man. But Zacchaeus, the story goes, he was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. And he climbed up on a sycamore tree. And in the story, Jesus is coming to town and Zacchaeus knows about Jesus. All Zacchaeus wants to do is just catch a glimpse of this man. He's heard about his healing. Maybe he's, he's seen him before. He's heard his teaching and he just wants to get another glimpse of this man. So he comes in, he climbs the tree, he gets high enough to peer down and get to a point where he can see Jesus. And the scripture says that Jesus would look at this man in verse number five as it comes on the screen in Luke chapter nine. And it says he would look down at him. Zacchaeus, come down immediately for I must stay at your house today. Now, it's kind of, again, Jesus' weird request at times, but I'm going to stay at your house. And I love this. So he came down, and at once he welcomed him gladly. Here's this man who's lived a life of complete destruction and sin, 
Scripture says he was a sinner and a tax collector, but in this moment, he comes down and he welcomes Jesus into his home with great gladness. And watch what happens as the story finishes up. It says, but Zacchaeus stood up. Verse number seven, excuse me. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He's gone to the house of a sinner. He's gone to be the guest of this man who's a great sinner, chief tax collector. He's one who's robbed people. He's greedy. He's narcissistic. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, I give you here and now half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times what I've done. I will reconcile it all. And then Jesus says to him, today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. This man was different. He encountered Jesus. An encounter with Jesus always demands a response. And this man says, I'm willing to surrender it all. I'm willing to sell my possessions. I'm willing to make right what I've messed up in the past. And I think for some of us today, if Jesus were sitting down eyeball to eyeball, he would say to you the same thing he says in Luke 19, 10. This is is a child of Abraham and salvation has come to this house. I think for some of us today, Jesus would say, I can restore you. I can restore your marriage. I can restore your relationship with me. I can restore your relationship with your children. I can restore that dream and that passion inside of you. I can restore you today. If you will let me, if you will turn to me, if you will receive my grace, if you will take steps towards me in response to me, I can restore you today. And I think that Zacchaeus is the the best example of all these stories, the most clear example of the kind of response that we want to have to Jesus, that we would say yes to whatever it is that he is asking of us. See, our mission as a church is to lead people to say yes to Jesus and live passionately for him. That all we do as a church boils down that men and women, boys and girls, children, every generation would come face to face with this man named Jesus and we would make the choice. Either we say yes or we say no. And some of us today, we're battling through that internal struggle and he's asking for your whole heart. He's asking for your life and he's saying, surrender it all to me. Give me your life and I can restore you I can put you on a new path. So what is it that Jesus is saying to you? But more importantly, how is Jesus asking you to respond? Is he asking you to receive grace and forgiveness? Is he asking you to surrender? Is he asking you to stand up? Is he saying to you, I will restore that area of your life? But I love how Jesus had this unique, uncanny ability to peer into every single person's life, know their circumstance and situation, and speak directly to them and give them very clearly what their next step was in response to his life and his teaching. So all across the room, those of you joining us online, those of you joining us via our video services today, God's not content to leave you the way that you are. He says, come as you are, but I'm not content to leave you that way. And today he's working on some of our hearts. And the challenge for us is when we come to that fork in the road, and I I, I look back over my journey, there have literally been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of forks in the road where I've encountered Jesus, and an encounter with Jesus always demands a response. Will I say yes and choose to receive and follow, or will I say no, and will I continue in the path 
that I've been on. Today, he's offering some of us new life, some of us forgiveness. Maybe for some of you, it's to say, I'm going to be, go public with my faith in Jesus and be baptized. Others of you, maybe it's a decision to follow Jesus for the first time. Some of you, it's a decision to confess an adulterous relationship that you've been in. Some of you, maybe it's an addiction that he's calling you out of. Some of you, it's a decision to live generously. But for all of us, I believe that an encounter with Jesus demands a response, and he's working on our hearts today, and he wants us to take that next step of faith, of obedience to him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you are a God of grace, a God of love and mercy. And I pray that as we each wrestle through what our response is to you, I pray that you would help us respond in obedience. We know that an encounter with you demands a response out of us. And we pray that we would respond in obedience to what you're asking us to do. Thank you for the people who are going public with their faith in you through baptism today. Thank you for those who are trusting in you for the first time to begin a relationship with you. God, thank you for what you've done in coming to planet Earth. Now help us not just hear these truths, but respond to them and let this message change the way that we live to say yes to you and passionately follow you with our whole life. In Jesus' name. Amen.